0: Friends, welcome to the Small Business Matters podcast. It's the only podcast that truly matters to small business. My name is Tim Fulton, founder, chief evangelist for Small Business Matters. I'm your host for this podcast, and I'm joined by my co-host, Taylor Fulton, the director of marketing for Small Business Matters. Uh, Taylor, welcome. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Happy New Year. I hope you've gotten off a good start this year.
1: Yeah, things are going well so far and looking forward to a, another great podcast today.
0: We were, t- we were talking earlier about the weather. Uh, I'm here in Atlanta. You're in Kansas City. Uh, what's the forecast there in Kansas City?
1: Uh, we've had snow on and off here for a couple of weeks now and we've got another round of ice overnight. So uh, it's been ugly. Uh, oh, I know our, our, our guest, Josh, is down in South Florida, and I'm, I'm, I'm very jealous of his situation right now.
0: Yeah, he's down there in in tropical weather. Well, mentioning Josh, I am very excited that we have Josh Rudder on as our guest today. Uh, Josh, good morning. Welcome to the Small Business Matters podcast. Good morning. Good to be here. Well, uh, so a brief introduction. Josh Rudder is the the president at uh, Third Maritime Properties, which is a real estate property development management company. Prior to that, He was president CEO uh, at Tropics North Nursery, and we'll hear uh, more about Tropics North. Josh is a resident of South Florida, living in in Miami, Florida, good friend of mine and a good friend of Small Business Matters. Again, Josh, welcome to to Small Business Matters.
2: Thank you, Tim.
0: So let's start off, uh, Josh, maybe the most important question that I can ask of you. So what do you do that matters to small business?
2: Well, since I sold my primary business, I've been coaching uh, small businesses. Usually there's a connection through a friend, a banker, or, or just uh, someone who reaches out to me. And, and um, I love uh, helping. I originally was at the University of Miami to become a teacher, and it's, all, it's gone back full circle to that.
0: Well, and and speaking of that, uh, you mentioned University of Miami. I I know you grew up in Massachusetts outside of Boston, migrated down to South Florida, attended University of Miami. You were a hurricane. I know you also spent some time at Florida International University. So take us from there. Tell us a little bit about your career, how you got started, and, and, and take us through
2: Tropics North as well. Well, I've, uh, it really comes from a passion that I had as a child. Uh, I had an uncle who was a farmer in the Midwest. I grew up in Marblehead, Massachusetts, and he would come out and visit and bring a handful of of seeds. And at, at eight and ten years old, we'd walk around the house and plant these beans and peas and sunflowers. And then over the summer, I got to watch them grow and ended up involved in horticulture and Studied it at Harvard's Arnold Arboretum as a senior in high school and received a fellowship to Fairchild Gardens in Coral Gables. That's how I ended up at the University of Miami and started cutting lawns there. And uh, my, my work life evolved from there.
1: So very good. Josh, tell us a little bit. I know Tropics North was a bit of a family business. What was that dynamic like?
2: You know, it was it, it was good and, and and difficult at the same time. It was it was great from the fact that um, I convinced my brother to to go to the University of Miami and work with me, and we shared a common work ethic and were able to parlay that into to a su- successful business. We did butt heads quite a bit, so sure. at one point we sort of worked for the same business as 50-50 partners but we had different responsibilities and that made things a lot a lot better and and from there we were able to move forward pretty quickly. And
0: Josh speaking of Tropics North you and your brother Nat were partners what was your role what were your responsibilities and tell us a little bit more about Tropics North uh,
2: who you served who your customers were we started out doing a high-end residential down at a resort area called ocean reef um and we're able to connect make a lot of connections there because of the the amount of money that was present to into the developers in dade county and then eventually um offshore into the bahamas and as we grew as a company we basically started with a single pickup and uh, one or two employees when we sold the business. We had 165 employees and were working in primarily in the Bahamas and, and from Orlando to Key West. Um, mm-hmm. So I usually focused on the numbers. My brother was strong as a, as a manager with, with people, and um, uh, we, uh, we shared duties that way and then had, had common uh, meetings of, of you know, strategizing on what to do and where to go. So uh, as Taylor mentioned,
0: this was a this was a family business and certainly in the United States, we have many family businesses. Uh, Some are successful and and some have a hard time uh, transitioning. So how how did you and Nat make this work as, as partners and what were maybe some of the challenges that you faced and maybe what lessons did you learn in that regard?
2: Well, as I mentioned, I think the number one thing was the work ethic that our parents gave us. So we worked six days a week for about 30 years, um, until a little less than 30 years, till Hurricane Andrew hit and, and wiped out about 400 acres of inventory in 40 minutes. Um, and that made us step back a little bit. But we also played hard and enjoyed each other um, away from work and sort of separated that totally. Our families vacationed together everywhere. And, and uh, we love sports. So we had uh, Panther tickets and Dolphin tickets. And and uh, we, um, uh, we spent a lot of time together uh, away from work and didn't spend that much time together at work because we had different responsibilities. So it, it worked well.
1: Josh, you bring up Hurricane Andrew, which is kind of an interesting case study in business and in life for any small business owner going through that, what was that like and how did that change your business?
2: Well, you know, it it was, it was humbling. Um, without a doubt, um, we had about $2 million worth of inventory on just under 400 acres, uh, and no insurance on it. And we lost all of that. As I said, in, in about 40 minutes time, we had very little debt before, but life is quick. And, and, uh, these things happen. I tell my kids all the time that, that, uh, enjoy when you can and, and understand that there's another curveball coming and, and roll with it, have faith and, and, uh, you'll, you'll get through it. It's, um, you know, a lot of people were devastated by it. Uh, my brother probably took it a lot harder than I did. Um, I sort of looked at it as, as, wow, that was incredible. Um, uh, to see that much devastation over a small, you know, 30 mile wide swath was was phenomenal. It just was, uh, and to me, impressive. And and uh, had little choice coming out of it but to, you know, get back to work. Mm-hmm. Josh, as a follow up to that, what would you recommend to
0: other small business owners in terms of uh, disaster preparation? How could maybe you and Nat have been better prepared for such a disaster, and then secondly, after the disaster, what suggestions or recommendations would you make? What what could you have maybe done differently or or, or better following the hurricane?
2: Well, in hindsight, the the probably the one of the bigger mistakes was to rebuild the nursery inventory. Being uh, living things, it was vulnerable to you know freezes and it was vulnerable to, to drought, to solve intrusion. We were in the, what's called the East Glade towards Key Biscayne. And um, so, so it was susceptible to a lot of potential natural loss. Um, now, the returns were really high, so that was the risk-reward side of it. Uh, but we probably would not have done that as much. Um, the second thing was to have have hedged our bets a little bit with some insurance. The premiums were really high on the crop insurance side, but in hindsight, uh, the nurseries that had insurance, uh, which ironically were a lot of Jamaican farmers who had been stung by Hugo before Andrew um, in Jamaica, uh, they came out just on top of the world because they had tremendous payouts. But those were probably the two things that, that mm-hmm. I would have done differently. And then you eventually uh, sold Tropics North.
0: Take us through that experience leading up to the sale and then uh, post-sale. How did you prepare for that? And again, what did you learn from that experience?
2: Well, he had tried to sell the company a couple of times, but realized that as a primarily a contracting business, we were only as good as our our backlog. And in about... Uh, 1995 or six, we started doing uh, maintenance work, which was reoccurring revenue, which was the direction that, if we'd been smarter would have happened earlier. The fortunate thing or the blessed thing that happened to us is that um, we were able to sell to an employee and structure a deal that, that benefited him. He had no capital to, to put up. so we financed it a hundred percent, but it was it was loaded on our side to protect us um, and, uh, and, and Charles Gonzalez, who we stole to performed at a much higher level than, than we had expected and made it very beneficial for us. So that was a major plus. So interesting.
0: You talk about the shift in the business from a, a kind of a project business to a, where you had a reoccurring flow of revenue. Was that intentional on your part?
2: No, it was actually accidental. Um, uh, Charles was cutting my brother's grass and, and was a go-getter, and we landed a contract at a very large shopping mall in South Florida and, and wrapped around on that was a year maintenance contract. So we subbed it to Charles, and within six months, the neighboring uh, commercial properties were asking him to do the work, and he came to us and said, you know, do you want to start a maintenance division? and And Charles was so sharp that within five years he had taken it from nothing to about a ten million dollar revenue base. And it allowed us that that ability to to finance things easier with reoccurring contracts and and also to eventually you know sell it and and for him to flip it five years later for about five times what what he sold to us for, which is a beautiful thing. And Taylor, that's a trend
0: that I see now with a lot of small businesses. Exploring ways to take their their business model from a uh, you know a one time sale type business to to a reoccurring revenue because it's more predictable, more consistent, and certainly adds value to the the business as as an asset.
1: Josh, you mentioned that you were more on the numbers side of the business. What are some financial figures or numbers that um, you really looked at, at at Tropics North, and that you would recommend all small business owners? Really have a keen eye on.
2: Well, one one thing that that I did, I don't remember the, remember the year, but took advantage of, of Score, which is Senior Core Retired Executives. We had a, a CEO out of New York uh, who was in his 90s uh, come down and and look at our financials and give us some input. And uh, he didn't use a calculator. He was 90. Two or three years old, and and he went through our spreadsheets and added them up in his head, and found found actually spreadsheet errors, and and he put together a what I call a financial snapshot, uh, which was really money in and money out, um, just a quick look at cash balances, receivables, billings, and we ran that every week, and it gave you a a constant trend on the direction the company was going so that you knew to cut back payroll or, or um, cut back on expenses or stretch your your payables and that uh, was a great tool so that was probably the the number one metric that we used
0: josh you're now a uh consultant a mentor coach to small business owners uh and so you work with a variety of different businesses what are some of the the mistakes that you see small business owners making today?
2: You know, Tim, if if you'd asked me that before I started doing this, I would have had a totally different answer. But what I what I find in almost every case is they comingle financials. In other words, and I'll give you three examples mm-hmm. of three companies I've worked with. If it's a landscape company, they have the landscape contracting and the nursery combined. Uh, There was a tree trimming company I worked with who had a spray division and they had the financials combined. I've worked with a painting company that had painting contracting and drywall contracting combined. So they had no idea where they were making money or where they were bleeding. So the first thing was to segregate financials so you can have a clean look and then then able to focus on on cash flow. Cash flow to me is is everything um I, regardless of the business.
1: And and Josh, is it true that you are, are writing a book?
2: I have been writing a book for about 10 years and and uh the book is is basically finished and it's just a matter of me of sitting sitting down and and tweaking it um We've had two ghostwriters involved, and I say we. A friend of mine who's a family therapist in Boston has the technical side of it. And the, the book basically is uh, about, what, about what story individuals use in their life to, to chart their path. And, and I'll just give you an example. For example, if you went through Hurricane Andrew you'd have a choice coming out of Hurricane Andrew to to have it as a situation that destroyed your life or an opportunity to to um, create a new life. And, and which story you decide coming out of that event uh, will dictate what happens to you. So basically, it's a book on responsibility and how you use your story to grow and develop and carry on or go backwards. Um, and that's the... That's the the really the idea behind the whole concept, and there and there's a lot of of, of psychological t- tools and practices and studies that that my friend Rob has brought in to use as tools to to analyze your life and and to analyze your situation and to understand it better.
1: And, and when <laughs> can we expect a, a publication date?
2: <laughs> Way to go,
0: Taylor! Nice. <laughs>
2: Oh gosh, it's just me procrastinating. That's all. It's almost like it's it's been therapeutic, cathartic for me to 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 write it. So, um, I I'm I don't have a date for you.
1: I think I've had my pre-order for like five years now.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I have. I ha- haven't spent the check.
1: <laughs> okay. Uh, last question John. for you before I go into to rapid fire. I think I was told recently that you were a Miami Dolphins season ticket holder for many years and have, have now decided to, to turn in your tickets and, and save your money uh, from a, a customer standpoint. What what are some of the reasons that you feel that, uh, you, you made that decision and, and what can business owners learn from that situation?
2: Great question. And, and, you know, it's ironically, it's because of my mentoring and working with small companies that, that I made the decision. It's, um, I've learned one thing about business, and and that the culture of the business, and typically the owner, is what drives the business. And and I mean, from the it starts at the top. You've heard it before, and it, it permeates through the entire organization. Uh, the uh, Ross, who Stephen Ross, who owns the Miami Dolphins, has not been afraid to spend money, but. He's been hung up on on what I call the fan experience rather than winning, Um, where you look at the New England Patriots and the craft organization and they care about one thing, and that's winning, even to the point of cheating. Now, I'm not advocating that, but uh, I I wish I was a New England fan. And and, um, so when I was asked that question uh, as an exit after 40 plus years of, of season ticket holder. I, I, I said that, that until the ownership changes, I don't think the, the Dolphins' dilemma will change because they their focus has always been, you know, why would you leave this? It's the best food in, in the country at an NFL stadium. The seats are the best. The the fan experience before the game is the best. And I tried to explain that i go to the games to see a winning experience, and, and I would... I would sit in a, a seat similar to Fenway Park, you know, with with no hip room at all just to just to see them win more often and and that's um so it's culture. Hmm. It's a it's a culture issue and and you can look at every single business you come across and you'll see the same thing.
0: That's really interesting and and how it translates into business the importance of understanding your customer and understanding you know, what the experience that they're anticipating and really being clued into that. That's a, that's a great question. Taylor, I can't believe how fast our, our time is going uh, today with, with Josh Rudder, our guest. Uh, listeners, uh, you're tuned in to the Small Business Matters podcast. It's the only podcast that truly matters to small business. Again, our, our guest today is Josh Rudder, serial entrepreneur and uh, consultant mentor to many small businesses uh, taylor now it's this is my favorite time of the podcast it's It's rapid fire time. Are you ready?
1: yeah let's do it so josh you you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that you wake up at about four a m every day real quickly, what is your morning routine
2: oh uh, well, first thing I do is get a cup of coffee S- second thing I do is is spend a couple of seconds writing down what i'm thankful for Uh, then i start to go through all the different things i'm involved in and then try to establish uh, priorities for the day and uh, then i might uh, oh by the way in the meantime i've turned on uh, wqam 560 sports radio which is our local sports radio (laughs) which which is going on in the background and um i um I reach out to a lot of people early. Thank God Tim is, is one of them that's up at that time. And, and uh, we we talk or connect. And But really, it's an organizational clearing the thoughts, no interruptions, catching up on emails. Uh, uh, and typically around 6.30, I get on a treadmill for an hour, 45 minutes to an hour. Then I'm off for the day.
1: Very good. And if you had one... A business book to recommend to a, a client or a fellow small business owner. What would it be?
2: It would be a book called The Wealthy Barber. It's a very fundamental money book on on how to to look at money and how to to go through life uh, dealing with with money. Uh, it's written from the perspective of, a, of just a small-time barber, but uh, life lessons. It's an awesome book.
1: And when you're dealing with, with clients on your, your coaching practice, what are probably the one or two biggest issues that, that come up that you try to solve or that you try to, you try to coach?
2: I would say p- probably on the business side, I would say it, it's cash flow. It's, it's, you know, so many businesses are just going. Um, they they really don't think beyond the the challenges of the day, and, and um, if I can get them to think a little further, you know, my experience, and I, I was actually talking to my son about this, I think the, the biggest financial mistake, and I've been blessed, I mean, I'm very, very fortunate, but if I stockpiled cash for the downturns that occur economically, I would be light years ahead. And typically, what I did is, when we had extra cash, is we'd find a use for it. So that's probably the number one thing I work on with the with the businesses.
1: Okay. And final question: I know you're you're rather tech savvy. What is a device or an app that you use frequently that that you couldn't live without?
2: Hmm. Well, mobile banking has definitely made. You know, made life wonderful. It's just so easy to, to deposit checks and deal with with you know spreadsheets. But I, but probably um, uh, Google Sheets, I would say, is the is the number one app or device that I use. That that and I I use it for everything. I mean, I, I do it. Use it for scheduling. I use it for organizing. I, I use it for running numbers. Um, it's it, that's the pro, Probably the number one.
1: Very good. Well, I think that brings us to the end of our podcast. I think we've covered a lot of topics from uh, cash flow and and key financial score numbers for small business to how to build a a culture that can resonate with your audience and your clients. And and obviously just learning more, Josh, about your journey in in Tropics North and uh, your entrepreneurial successes. So we're very thankful to have you on the podcast and we'll hope you join us again one day.
2: Enjoyed it quite a bit and... Love what you guys are doing. It's um, it's a it's a pleasure and a treat always to read and and, and to look at what you're putting forward. And
0: Taylor, like you, I've got a, just a page of notes from Josh, including you know, the importance of of shifting the business model to uh, a reoccurring revenue. Uh, be willing to. Uh, ask for help, and in, in Josh's case, he reached out to a consultant from SCORE, which a, is a federal agency, uh, an arm of the Small Business Administration. Disaster preparedness: is your company ready for disaster uh, today? The importance, particularly in family businesses, of clarity in roles, as, as Josh outlined between he and his brother, uh, and finally the idea that you know some of the most successful business owners, small business owners. They don't make their money at the top of the economy. They make their money at the bottom of the economy. And and the importance of, of having cash available when the economy does come to, to the bottom. That's a just a great takeaway. So Josh, I want to thank you as well for, for being with us. Listeners, thank you for listening to the Small Business Matters podcast. It is the only podcast that truly matters to small business. May each of you continue to pursue all that matters. Thank you.